0: Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 58, Chilenos and Pachacamos. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. A reminder to get your questions about the show to me by April 15th. We haven't done one of these question-and-answer episodes in quite a while, so I'm sure there are some of you with questions about certain topics we've covered or touched on. Send them to the show's email, incapodcast at gmail.com, or Twitter at incapodcast, or on the show's Facebook page. Now then. In our last episode, we discussed what Manco Inca did after the failed siege of Cuzco and Lima. With generals scattered throughout the Andes, the Inca were able to offer pockets of resistance to the Spanish. These generals and captains had their moments of success, but eventually the Spanish and their native allies would exhaust them, and those that resisted would either surrender or would be captured. As for Manco Inca, he would realize that the only way to sustain resistance in the long term would be to retreat into Andesuyu and the jungles of Vilcabamba. Though the area offered refuge, it wasn't impenetrable, and one Spanish offensive saw the Sapa Inca nearly captured, while his Coya, was captured and later killed along with many of the generals and captains who had previously surrendered. We must leave the Inca there, though, and for the next two episodes we'll be focusing more on the Spanish. Why? Well, we need to tie up a few loose ends, and it's necessary to set up the final handful of episodes. You see, though nobody knew it at the moment, the time of the conquistadors was ending and this would have a dramatic impact on the Andes and, of course, the Inca. A few disclaimers, though. First, the events we will be covering aren't necessarily in chronological order. Some of the events we will cover in a few episodes' time will have occurred during the same time as some of the events we will cover today. But it is just easier to focus on, on one subject, as opposed to jumping back and forth from topic to topic. Secondly, we are not going into fine detail here. Why is that? Cieza de Leon covers the events of this episode and the next episode in two books, totaling about 600 pages. Most of the details just aren't necessary for us. And finally, as we begin, we will be going back in time to when Manco had just retreated from his failed siege of Cusco. Enjoy. Not long after Manco Inca began his retreat to Ollantaytambo, Almagro sent several messengers to Cusco to inform Hernando Pizarro that he wanted to enter the city peacefully. For his part, Hernando was resistant to this idea. Almagro was supposed to be in Chile, setting up his government there. He returned to Cusco, seemingly just as the tide had turned in favor of the Spanish against the Inca's siege. Almagro and his forces were apparently seen treating with the Inca and sending messages back and forth. Could Almagro be trusted? Almagro's intentions became quite clear when the conquistador took hold of Saxo and then expressed that he would be recognized as governor. Of course, there was a debate to whether Almagro's claim that Cusco fell under Almagro's jurisdiction, and so the municipality of Cusco wanted a truce between Almagro's side, the Chilenos, and the side of Pizarro, the Pachacamos. Hernando posted guards, but Almagro had more forces and had Rodrigo de Orgonez march into the city at night during a heavy rain. While Almagro went to the church, Orgonez surrounded Hernando's headquarters while the latter was asleep, only waking when he heard his artillery being captured. After a brief skirmish that left one Chileno dead, Hernando and his men were captured. Pizarro was still on the road to Cuzco when messengers arrived informing him of the situation up in the mountains. A bit despondent from the news, the governor sent messengers to Lima and to Almagro while holding council with his captains. Meanwhile, Orgonez directed Paulu to a nearby fort and to erect barricades with deep trenches to protect against the shots of the enemy. Not long after this, Alonso de Alvarado, a captain who came down from the north, was ambushed by Orgonias and was captured along with his men, some of whom decided to join the Chilenos after the battle. When Pizarro's messengers reached Almagro, they urged for the release of his brothers Hernando and Gonzalo, as well as for the release of their men but nothing came of it. Another party was sent to examine the copies of the decrees that Almagro had and to come to some sort of agreement on the boundaries of their respective governments. As this went on, Pizarro marched back to the coast to gather more forces while Almagro's men made more ammunitions. Both sides knew that whatever agreement was made, they would not follow it. When the talks were done, Almagro prepared to march on Lima. However, he was concerned about the Inca causing problems around Cuzco if they were to leave the city. Thus, he sent Orgonias to march on Vitcos to ensure the Inca wouldn't attack Cuzco while the Chilenos were gone, an incursion we covered in the previous episode. While Hernando was forced to join Almagro as he marched to the coast, Gonzalo Pizarro and Alonso de Alvarado were kept back in Cuzco. However, the two of them were able to escape and actually beat the Chilenos to the coast. Needless to say, Pizarro was thrilled when he saw his brother free. Meanwhile, after marching through Nazca and harassing the natives there, including stealing from them and murdering some of them, Almagro made camp south of Lima the two sides once again resumed negotiations, arguing about Cuzco and Hernando's imprisonment. A judge was brought in to make a ruling on the disputed border of the two governments, and the ruling did not go in Almagro's favor. However, for now, it was agreed that Cuzco would be occupied by Almagro until the king ordered it otherwise, but that Hernando would be released. Orgonez strongly disagreed with the latter. He wanted Hernando executed long ago, and kept repeating this thought, knowing that Hernando would seek revenge as soon as he was set free. But Orgonez did not get his wish. Hernando was free, and the Chilenos went back to Cuzco. Now free, Hernando was itching for revenge, and Francisco Pizarro eventually agreed, giving him the okay to go after his former captors. As the Pachacamos left Lima, Paulu and Orgonez prepared a defense of the mountain pass at Huatara. The road leading up to the pass was torn up and slingstones were collected to rain down upon Hernando's forces. Orgonez unwisely left his position though, to go to Ica. Gonzalo Pizarro was ordered to pursue Orgonez and the Chileno had his baggage train captured as he escaped back to the mountain pass. Hernando's scouts discovered the torn up road leading to Huaytara, making the pass difficult to take during the day. Instead, the Pachacamos made a daring night ascent. Two groups made it to the summit undetected yelling and shouting, convincing those on watch that there was a much larger force upon them. A general retreat was sounded, and the Chilenos fled. Almagro knew it was a massive blow, and now his forces had to march at night in the bitter cold to meet up with Orgonez and regroup. For his part, Hernando and his forces nearly froze to death in pursuit of Almagro, immediately after the events of Huaytara. After returning to his supply train, Hernando sought permission from Pizarro to retake Cusco and to reestablish himself there, which his brother granted. After this took place, Almagro and his men crossed the Purimac and had a decision to make. Execute a counterattack by marching on Lima through a different route, or to head to Cusco and make his stand. However, Almagro was soon overtaken by disease, and upon his recovery, he learned that Hernando was marching on Cuzco. The decision was made for him, and he had to get back to block Hernando from crossing the Purimac at Cache. The same crossing, Huascar battled Chocolchima and Quisques. But Almagro was too late. Hernando had captured several scouts and occupied the crossing until the rest of his forces crossed. Those present in Guzco, whose loyalty was questionable towards the Chilenos, had already been arrested, leaving those who were free to grow ever more concerned about Hernando's upcoming approach. Though he wanted to ride out to meet his enemy, Almagro was so ill he could not. However, Soon he had no choice but to be carried on a litter to meet Hernando in the field. With him were 500 Spaniards and some 6,000 Inca, thanks to Paulu. South of Cusco, the two sides met at Las Salinas, or the Salt Flats. Paulu took his forces to a hill and was told to kill anyone who fled the battle, friend or foe. Other native groups were present too, but they took spots on surrounding hills to watch. No action took place the first day though, as it was late in the day when positions were taken. The next day, April 6th, 1538, was quite bloody, and it didn't go well for Almagro from the start, as he had men flee the field. Orgonez was wounded midway through the battle, was surrounded and killed. The battle only lasted two hours, but was a clear victory for the Pachacamos as Almagro retreated to a tower in Cusco. Not long after the battle, Almagro was talked out of his tower, but to be honest, he had little chance to hold out there. Upon hearing the news of Hernando's victory, Pizarro marched towards Cusco, prepared to spare Almagro. In fact... The governor informed Almagro's son, Diego, a mestizo whose mother was a native of Panama, that his intention was to forgive the boy's father and pardon him. But Hernando had other plans. He hastily ordered charges drawn up on Almagro and quickly had him garretted. Meanwhile, Paolo was left unharmed and remained in his position in Cuzco. As the dust of Las Salinas and its immediate aftermath settled, Hernando escorted another royal fifth back to Spain. But before he went, he warned his brother Pizarro about some of the Chilenos that were spared and to watch his back. But perhaps Hernando should have been more concerned about his own fate. Upon his return to Spain, it was judged that he had been the one who started the fight between the two sides and was soon imprisoned. There he would remain for a long time, and so we too will leave him there for now, and return to Peru. Part of the fallout of the Battle of Las Salinas were the conditions of the Chilenos. Yes, there were many that were spared the fate of their leader, but they still suffered under Pizarro. They had their repartimientos confiscated and lived in squalid conditions, or at least squalid to their previous standards of living. When they called on Pizarro to assist them, their calls went unanswered. Thus, many of these men began to look to Don Diego Almagro as a rallying point, seeing this young man, or child, I mean, he was a teenager, as their hope for a better life. But their path would continue to be blocked if Pizarro was still around, and soon rumors of a plot to murder the governor swirled around Lima. These rumors made their way to the old conquistador, and of course, he ignored them. Yep, he dismissed them, dismissed them as he had the calls of the Chilenos. They were just rumors after all. So Pizarro must have been fairly surprised when on June 26th, 1541 a group of chilenos marched openly through the city and broke into his residence pizarro was either entertaining some friends or had them as a small guard but irregardless a fight broke out inside the house eventually pizarro had four assailants against him with his breastplate on and sword drawn pizarro took them on killing one and wounding the other three before the Chilenos got the better of him, and he lay on the floor, dead. He was 63 years old. Not long after the death of Pizarro, the Chilenos declared Don Diego governor, and began to send letters all over Peru announcing this. Upon reading these messages, there was hesitation from many of the municipal officials in recognizing Don Diego, and obviously they had questions about how this came to be. But Don Diego and the Chilenos had much more to worry about than the approval of the municipal officials. There was an official from Spain on the way, with the full weight of the crown behind him. Cristobal Vaca de Castro was picked by the Spanish court to travel to Peru and to investigate the death of Almagro Sr., When he was alive, Pizarro was not looking forward to Castro's impending visit as his side had clearly exacted revenge upon his former business partner. But now with Pizarro dead, it was Don Diego and the Chilenos who had to worry over the incoming official. Castro only learned of Pizarro's death upon landing in Peru. Captain Alonso de Alvarado quickly met Castro and joined the newly confirmed governor. After this, it wasn't long before all camps opposed to Don Diego joined under Castro's banner, and the new governor marched to Lima to gather yet more of the Pachacamos who sought revenge for their murdered leader. Sensing the Chileno's trouble and being a former friend of his father's, Manco Inca sent messages to Don Diego offering peace and the opportunity to meet, possibly even to give the young man sanctuary in Vilcabamba. But a meeting never took place. Instead, Don Diego marched towards Cusco, furiously sending letters to Castro as he went. In his letter, Don Diego blamed the Pachacamos, or at least Pizarro, for Manco Inca rebelling while he, Don Diego, recognized the Inca as the natural lords of these parts. Don Diego goes on to claim that he could bring the Inca into allegiance with the king, thus bringing greater peace to the land. For his part, Castro responds to Don Diego and expresses that he wants the murderers of Pizarro to surrender and to be turned over to him as one of the conditions to the end of the hostilities. There was just one problem to this. Many of the murderers of Pizarro were key captains and commanders under Don Diego, or they were at least closely linked to the murder. And to be honest, they had probably manipulated and pushed Don Diego into his current position, seeking simply to improve their own standing, which under Pizarro had been so poor. They weren't going to allow Don Diego to turn them over, and they were not going to surrender themselves willingly. No, it would be war once more. Clearly seeing that war was the only way forward as well, Castro marched on Cuzco into the plain of Chupas, south of the city. On September 16, 1542, people gathered on the surrounding hills once more to view the coming battle. Early on, Don Diego and the Chilenos were winning despite their lower troop count. They had more experienced soldiers, but they also had their lives to fight for. Surrendering would mean certain death for many of them. However, Another charge was led by Castro, and his forces soon turned the tide. The Chilenos scattered, with Don Diego fleeing towards Cusco. Manco Inca, of course, had eyes on the battle, and soon sent offers of asylum to Don Diego and his captains, and several would make their way to the relative safety of Vilcabamba and the Inca court. Don Diego was not so fortunate. He was overtaken by Castro's forces and captured. He would be condemned to death and was executed by beheading in the Huacapata. He was only around 19 years old. Almagro and Pizarro's partnership and their pursuit of a mysterious land to the south began in Panama. By the standards of the time, late in each man's life. Pizarro wanted to give up the pursuit of riches in the land of Peru several times, but Almagro convinced his partner to press on, even losing an eye for the endeavor. Pizarro would go back to Castile to secure himself a governorship and left little for Almagro, an act repeated with Atahualpa's ransom. Eventually, people began to whisper in the ears of Almagro in the expedition to Chile, seems to have been the final straw. When little gold was found, Almagro sought to enlarge the territory of his governorship by including territory where he knew there to be some gold, Cuzco. After Almagro was executed and his loyalists left alive, it was only a matter of time until Pizarro would be attacked and killed. Pizarro is forever linked with the Inca-for the Pachacuti at Cajamarca, certainly-but also through blood. He took several Inca mistresses-Cuzirime Oklo, former primary Coya of Atahualpa, and Quispe Sisa, another Inca princess; their children would have both Inca and Castilian blood. As for Don Diego, Though he may have been taken advantage of by his father's followers, he simply sought revenge for his father's demise. I like to think he would have enjoyed the benefits of a governorship if history had gone differently, but we can't be so sure of that. Perhaps one of the Chilenos would have put a knife in the young man's back as well. With Pizarro and Almagro dead, Hernando Pizarro in a Spanish prison Castro, Governor, and Pizarro's assailants in Vilcabamba, we continue next time with a look at Gonzalo Pizarro. You see, the new laws are coming to the Andes, and with them, another civil war.